Father, your word says that if we keep silent about who Jesus is, about who you are, that the rocks would cry out. And we used to sing a song many years ago when I was in youth group that ain't no rock going to cry in my place. I refuse to keep silent. I refuse to be bashful about who you are. I refuse to withhold from you the glory that you are due. I refuse to be swayed by culture, by popular opinion, by style or fashion. You are God and we praise you here today. We magnify your name here in this house today and we thank you that you are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. God, you're the light in the darkness. There is no other light outside of you. Any light that we have is just a reflection of who you are. That's who you are. We know who you are today. The world may say whatever it wants to about you. They can say you're not real. They can say you're not good. You can, they can say you're an outdated idea. They can say that science has pushed out the need for you. They can say that at the end of our lives, there's nothing but the grave. They can say that Jesus was just a figment of our imagination. They can compare you to mythological things. And at the end of the day, we're still going to praise you because we have seen who you are. And we know that you're real. And we know that you're worthy of all glory, and you are worthy of all praise. And so, Lord, I'm not going to stay silent. I'm not going to let a rock cry out in my place when I get the opportunity to worship you. I'm going to take the opportunity to worship and praise you. And, God, I would just ask that my praise would not be confined to a building that my praise would be evident in this house, but my praise would not be confined to this house, that my praise would go outside of these doors, and that would, people would see through my life and what I believe and what I speak who you are. I thank you for the godly men and women who showed me who you are. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that revealed himself to me when I was eight years old. And I thank you that you're still working. Even when we don't see it, you're still working. Even when we don't feel it, because God is not about our feelings anyway. It's about the truth of who you are. We thank you that you're working. You are working in this place. You are working in this world. God is not dead. You are very, very alive. And we thank you for the ministry that you're sending us through your spirit today. Lord, don't let me do a thing that would take away from what you're doing. But speak through me, I pray. Speak through your word, I pray. We don't want to leave this place the same. We want to leave this place changed, and we want to look more like Jesus. It's in his name that we're praying all these things today because he's the one that loved us enough to give himself for us. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And Rushwood said together, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. You know, uh, great job by the worship team. Let's give it up for them. Lo love that song. 
So much truth there. You guys don't know it, but usually I preach from my iPad, and every week I bring my laptop as a backup just in case my iPad goes weird on me. Well, this morning, first time ever, my iPad is not working right, so I grabbed my laptop. So you're going to see the forbidden fruit up here as I'm preaching today. Nothing else I can do about it. Hopefully that'll be the only technical difficulty we have. Maybe that means that Satan's fighting because he doesn't want this word to get out, but this word is going to get out. So uh, I just praise God that whether it's through a laptop or through an iPad or through written notes or whatever, that God is going to work here today. Well, how's everybody doing today? Glad to be here. You enjoying uh, second spring or summer or whatever we're in? We haven't had much winter or fall. I don't know what it is, the seasons around here, but uh, it, it, usually this time of year we miss Sundays and stuff because it's cold and, and snowing and all that stuff, and we haven't had that this year at all. Uh, but I'm glad that you guys are here, that you came out nicer weather, worse weather, whatever. I think we need to be committed to the house of God. Amen? I think we need to come in here, not because God isn't everywhere, he's everywhere, but there's something special that happens when the people of God come together to glorify his name. And so I'm just glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. We are in a series called Tenacious. Tenacious, it's about never giving up. I don't know about you, there are times I'm tempted to give up. There are times I'm tempted to throw in the towel and say, forget it, let's do something else. But God is always there to strengthen me and bring me back. And his word has given us examples of people who were tenacious and who never wanted or were willing to give up. And this year we're looking at the life and teachings of Jesus. Every sermon this year is going to be specifically from his life and his teachings. So we're looking in this series at people in the life and ministry of Jesus who were tenacious and who would not give up. And so that's kind of the direction we're heading. If you came in here a little bit late, missed the announcements, we do have gear that goes with this series. We have t-shirts, we might have a few hats left. Man, those hats went quick. And we actually have some uh, sweatshirt, hoodie type things that are out there. If you're interested, Andy Walker, who is our drummer, uh, and as one of our board members, one of our elders here at the church, donated all of this for our youth group so the profits would go to our youth group. And so, uh, yeah, uh, awesome job, Andy. And so, uh, long story short, buy some of that to support our youth group. And uh, when they go into conventions and to camps and things like that, we'll be able to help them out so all the cost, all the burden of the cost doesn't fall on their families. I figured I'd start today with a little humor. I'm one of those people, I've been told my whole life I have a one-track mind. When I start to think about something, I think about something. And my wife will tell you I drive her crazy. If I get locked in on something, it's, I talk about it, I think about it, I work on it. That's just kind of the way I'm wired up. And so when I get up here to preach to you guys, a lot of times I, I want to dive right in and just get right to the meat of it. And, and I forget what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said one time that if you want to make them cry by the end, you need to make them laugh in the beginning. And so I'm trying to provide a little bit of humor. That's maybe not exactly the way I'm wired up, but I enjoy humor. Um, and I thought I'd start there today. So let's see how this one goes. There's a little old retired grandmother. She lived on a fixed income, and every morning she would go out on her front porch to pray, and she would thank God for all of her blessings. 
But her younger neighbor, right beside of her, did not believe in God. He was an atheist. And he would make fun of her for her prayers, and he would tell her that whatever she did, there was no God there to hear her anyway. So one day, the neighbor hears the little lady praying on the front porch, and she's asking God on a fixed income, God, there's some groceries you know I need, Lord, and you know I don't have the money to provide those groceries for myself, so God, would you provide those groceries? And so the neighbor is outside, and he overhears her praying about these groceries and decides he's going to play a trick on her. So he goes to the grocery store, he buys the exact groceries that she's praying about needing, and he sneaks over to her house early one morning and leaves him on the front porch before she goes out to pray, and then he hides behind the bushes and he waits. And so the grandmother comes out and she sees the groceries and she starts praising God that he has met her needs. Despite her fixed income, despite her lack of money, God has provided her needs. So the neighbor jumps out from behind the bushes and says, Aha! I got you. God didn't provide that stuff for you. I'm the one that went down to the store and bought all those groceries for you and left it on the front porch. I told you God wasn't real. I'm the one that did that. But the little old grandmother didn't miss a beat. She started praying again and she looked back up at the heavens and she said, God, you are so good. You provided the groceries that I needed for me, and you even made the devil pay for them. <laughs> even when we don't see him, he's working, right? Even when we don't feel it, he's working. Have you ever believed, though, in your life that you needed something from God and you just felt like God was not interested in providing that for you? Just, you just felt like he wasn't there? You just felt like he wasn't feeling it. You knew you had a need, and we're not talking about wants, or we're not talking about small little desires. We're talking about actual needs, and you're praying, and you're asking God, and you feel like he's just not there. He's just not into being inclined to give that to you. You know, nothing tries your faith like that. When you feel like you have a genuine need in this world, when you feel like you are actually serving God and doing the right things, and it seems like he's just not going to provide. He's just not going to show up for you this time. We sing a song, about, uh, do it again, about how he's never failed me yet. But what, what happens when we feel like he's going to fail us? What happens when we feel like he's not there? When, what happens when we feel like God just doesn't care, he's just not going to move. What do we do then? Well, in the book of Matthew, we have a woman who had a legitimate, a very legitimate need. And she comes to Jesus, and it really seems from the story, at least at first, that Jesus is not interested in helping her, not in the least. And what she does, as Jesus seems disinterested in helping her, teaches us a lesson in being tenacious. It teaches us a lesson in the spirit of tenacity. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to read the passage first, and then we're going to take it part by part, this great story from the Gospel of Matthew. It's the story of the Syrophoenician or the Canaanite woman. Either one of those mean the same thing. Either the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman. It's Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. This morning, I'm going to have you stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I'm not going to have you read it out loud with me this time, but I just want you to stand 
feels like we're a little active this morning. By the way, I like active. I don't like dead church, man. I don't feel, the Spirit of God's moving. I don't feel like we should be dead whatsoever. I feel like we should be alive in Him, amen? Uh, but this morning is Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. God's Word says this, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps on crying after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Let's thank God for the reading of his word. And you may be seated. Thank you for honoring God's word this morning. Uh, I do research for my sermons. Um, sometimes I listen to other sermons because I'm not the brightest guy out there. And There's other people who may have a take on it that I haven't seen yet. I believe there's wisdom in the body of Christ. And sometimes I'll read articles and I'll do a little background research and everything else. Uh, very rarely am I going to get up here and just give you what I knew from the beginning on a certain topic. So as I was researching this scripture, one of the top search results on Google, that was probably my first mistake, on Google was from a lady named Barbara K. Lundblad. Didn't know of Barbara, had never heard of her before, but she is an ordained Lutheran minister, and she was writing for the Huffington Post. And her article, somebody grunted, I know, um, her article is entitled, Teaching Jesus. Teaching Jesus. And it's on this very scripture. And she starts her article by saying, This story in Matthew 15 is very troubling. A Canaanite woman cries out to Jesus to heal her daughter. By the end of the story, her daughter has been healed. But between the crying and the healing, Jesus says some terrible things. Now, this is how this woman describes Jesus. He's arrogant, racist, and just plain mean. Later in the article, she says, Jesus was converted. Je this woman says, Jesus was converted that day to a larger vision of the commonwealth of God. Jesus saw and heard a fuller revelation of God in the voice and in the face of the Canaanite woman. And she ends this gar her article <laughs> by saying, maybe we'll be as willing to learn as Jesus was. Lord, help me this morning. 
Church, I don't know what to call that interpretation that would be polite and Christian, so maybe I'll just use the biblical word, what I believe the biblical writers would use, which is foolish. That is a foolish interpretation. Jesus was not arrogant. Jesus was not racist. He came to die for all men. Nor was Jesus mean. Jesus was and is the perfect Son of God. No one had to convert him. He came to convert the world to righteousness through his life. No one had to show him a fuller vision of the kingdom of God. He embodied the kingdom of God. When we talk about Jesus, he was the perfect, sinless, spotless, blemishless lamb of God. And anything else is heresy and anything else is simply wrong. And I would add, if somebody doesn't understand that, they don't need to be within a football field of a pulpit or a microphone or a congregation of Christians who are seeking to learn more about the Lord Jesus. Should not, should not even be near to that. But I will admit this much. The Jesus that we find here in this story is a little different than the Jesus that we might expect. Now understand, if somebody's wrong, it's never God. If somebody's wrong, it ain't God. If somebody's wrong, it's not Jesus. If somebody's wrong, it's us. It's whoever is critiquing or criticizing because God is God and we're not. But we will get at this because Jesus acts a little different in this passage than the way we think Jesus would normally act. By the way, just an aside, there's a series that's been out, uh, it was crowdfunded, it's been out for just a little while called The Chosen that's online. I showed you a clip at Christmas of the Christmas special of that series, and uh, tremendous series. If you get a chance to check it out, we actually have a church copy, we're not sure what we're going to do with that yet, but it shows you an image of Jesus and who he is, it shows you a very human side of who Jesus is. And so we expect the loving Jesus. We expect the one who moves to heal almost instantaneously. We do get a little different picture of Jesus at this point. But there is a way better explanation for it than what this lady gave in that article. So let's look at verses 21 through 22. We're just going to take it part by part this morning. Sometimes I just like to get at the scripture that way, taking it part by part. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, Tyre and Sidon, they are Gentile towns that are in Jewish territory. When the Jews came in for the conquest of the land, God said, look, the pagan nations that are before you, I've judged them. They've done wrong. Two of the big things that they did wrong, you can check it out in Leviticus 18, aberrant sexual practices, God had judged them for that, and killing their own children, God had judged them for that. And he said, when my people come in, I've already judged them, and you're going to be the judgment. You're to drive them out of this land that I'm giving you. You are to totally overcome and overthrow them. But they didn't get the job done. And so these are two of the cities that were able to resist uh, the, the Jews as they came in to the promised land. 
So you've got Tyre and Sidon, and they're very ancient cities. They worship false gods. They are pagans surrounding the people or or around the people of God. Problems come from this area. A woman named Queen Jezebel came from this area. There's a woman in the Bible named Jezebel. There's also a spirit in the Bible named Jezebel. And I believe that that's a spirit that's attacking this nation today. It's a very prevalent spirit. If you do just a little research on the spirit of Jezebel, you will find that it seems to be a spirit that is still attacking to this day and is very prevalent. But that came from the region, Queen Jezebel came from the region of Sidon. The Canaanites, as I had said before, had done a lot of evil, including sacrificing their own children to these false gods. You may have seen from the Golden Globes, Michelle Williams, talking about how she would not have been able to get her Golden Globe Award had she not sacrificed her own daughter along the way, her son along the way. Same spirit, y'all. Same spirit back then in the, among the Canaanites is prevalent even today. That's not my topic for this morning, but I could go there real easy um, and pray for her. Because God can turn anybody around, right? He can get a hold of anybody's heart. But it's not a shock. I guess what I'm saying, it's not a shock that this woman's daughter is demon-possessed. It is hard to be in wickedness without having some wickedness get in you. That's the struggle we have in our culture right now. Y'all, if you think we still live in a Christian culture, get woke. Wake up. We live in a wicked culture. We are salt and light in a wicked culture. But our challenge is to keep the culture from getting in and invading who we are. We're supposed to invade it. It's not supposed to invade us. But it's tough, guys. I'm, I'm with you. I get it. It's tough to live in that kind of culture. And this woman led, lived in that kind of culture. So on to verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. Talked about sheep being dumb last week. Jesus' disciples are dumb all the way through the Gospels. It's not every time you see them, but a high percentage of the time, Jesus' disciples don't get it right. So send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Have you ever prayed and got an immediate response to your prayer? You prayed and God moved that second or almost instantaneously God began to work. Anybody had that happen? You prayed and you've seen God move? Nobody? Nobody? Have you ever seen God move in that second? That's great. I love that when God shows up in that way, but he doesn't always work that way. He doesn't always move immediately when we pray, at least not discernible from our human standpoint. So those are great times, but sometimes when we talk to God, it seems like heaven goes silent. I heard one preacher say one time he prayed for three years about something, and he said it was like the heavens were brass. It was like as he prayed, his prayers just bounced off the ceiling. He just couldn't get them through. He just could not get an answer. Anybody had that? Anybody had those tough times? I've been there. Sometimes we pray and we get nothing, and that is... That's when our faith is really tested and tried, when it seems like heaven is silent. But here's the thing, when God appears to be silent, that's when our faith really has a chance to grow. Our faith, our our faith, our belief in Him. If He gave us everything, I thought about this the other day. What if God, if we lived in a world where everything we wanted, God gave us? Can you imagine what a mess that would be? We would basically be God. 
We would just ask him and he would do it and we would make a big mess of things. Or even when we ask if we got it instantaneously, it would make a mess of things. He knows better than we do. I don't know if you guys saw uh, Dr. Tony Evans, his wife passed away and the family uh, was there for giving the eulogy. And his son, her son, talked about how he prayed for his mama to be healed of that cancer and he wanted God to get all the glory that God would heal her and touch her. And T.D. Jakes came down and prayed and other ministers came down and prayed and God chose not to heal her that, in that way. But if you can go find the clip, it's, on, it's actually on my YouTube, uh, 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 Facebook page. It's an amazing clip because he said in the end the choice was either that God was going to heal her or he was going to heal her. He was either going to have her with family or he was going to have her with family. He was either going to do good to her or he was going to do good to her. It's an amazing clip. And he said, you know what? God's ways are higher than our ways. And we can't tell him how to get the glory. He gets the glory his own way because he's God. But when it seems like God is silent, the ancients, the ancient early Christians called this the dark night of the soul. You come to Christ and it seems like amazing things happen and life is so good, but then you hit that first roadblock and it seems like heaven is silent. And sometimes that is God intentionally saying, Nah, I'm not going to do that for you right now. You need to learn to love me for me. You need to learn more about who I am. You need to learn to trust. You need to have an opportunity to grow. And so sometimes God says, You're just going to have to wait. But in that waiting, you can grow. In that waiting, you can get closer. In that waiting, you can mature. If he gave us everything, it's like a kid who gets everything they want. Best way to ruin a kid is to give them everything they want. Parents, and I'm talking to me and my wife as well because we can fall prey to it too. If you give them everything they want, they're going to turn into a spoiled brat. That's just how it's going to go. Once in a while, you just have to say no so they learn how to deal with no. They learn how to be content. They learn how to appreciate what they have. It's not a parenting sermon, so I'm not going to go there too far, but... Sometimes God does that with us. The time when God hides himself for us, we learn to seek him in new and better, more mature ways. Verse 24, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Kind of sounds like, lady, look, I'm not here for you. I'm not here for you. You're part of those pagan cities. I'm not here for you. I'm here for God's people. And sometimes we forget Jesus was the Holy One. He was the Anointed One of Israel. Jesus was very Jewish. Jesus kept the law. Jesus attended synagogue. Jesus was a Jewish man. God had created Israel as a channel to bring the Redeemer into this world. And so that, that's all connected. We forget that sometimes. We have like an American idea of Jesus. Jesus was very Jewish. He was the deliverer of Israel, the anointed one of Israel. He lived and he worked and ministered in Israel. His disciples were Jewish. He was thoroughly Jewish. What he said was not racist. It was just simply true. He was to come first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And he was saying, look, this part of the plan hasn't unfolded yet. Ultimately, Jesus would come from everyone. But, as I said, it was to the Jew first and then the Gentile. So what's the lesson we can take from this? Some things God has in store for you, but only in his timing. He has that for you. You pray for it, and yeah, yeah, that's coming, but not right now. Not right now. I, I have the right timing, God says. I know when to give this to you, and now is not the time. You're going to have to learn how to wait. 
I think about my mom and dad. They got married in 19, Easter Sunday of 1964 in this church. And they never expected that after they got married, it would take them 15 years to have a child. They had to wait. They had to wait, and it didn't seem like they would ever. And they said during that time, they loved other people's children and, and, and kind of poured into that. But they, they were waiting, and 15 years later, here I was. And they never had another one because, you know, there's nothing better once you've had the best, right? <laughs> no, just, just kidding. Just kidding. Really, I am. But God had a plan for my life that did not start until 1979. And so for my life to be unfold within his plan, they had to wait. He had a plan. He was going to give a child to my mom and dad, but not then, at the appointed time. Sometimes we have to learn to wait. Sometimes we have to learn God has it for us, but not right now. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Do you believe this morning God is establishing your steps? He's going before you. He knows the end from the beginning. He can do that. We can't do that, but He can do that. He can establish our steps. He's put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Church, we've got to learn to trust in His timing. That's hard. I'm not telling you that's easy. That's hard, but we have to learn to trust. He will do it in His time. He will make it happen in His time. And if He says the time is never, then He's also wise on that. He does everything perfectly. He does everything well. We've got to learn to trust His timing. Verses 25 through 28, the woman came and knelt before Him. I love that. I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to come and worship you. I'm going to draw close to you because the word says if we'll draw close, close to God, he'll do what? He'll draw close to us. And so she knew that. She came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. God, that moves God's heart when we acknowledge we need his help. When we acknowledge we can't get it all done by ourselves. When we acknowledge we have a total need and a total dependence on him. But Jesus replies, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat at the table, at the, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. A little shock factor here. Did Jesus actually call this woman a dog? It's a question that's asked, maybe rightly, from the text. Maybe. It might be worth noting that there's a Hebrew word that means like mangy old dog that nobody wants anything to do with. And there's a Hebrew word that means like a, a family pet, like a dog that's beloved and, and, and part of the family. And Jesus used the nicer word of the two. But still, calling somebody a dog just seems out of bounds. And he might have even had a double meaning here. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. That was the way they referred to them. Um, and they did not mean it as a term of endearment. But I think more than anything, Jesus is number one continuing to bring this woman to a place of humility where she is totally 100% dependent upon him. And the second thing I think he's doing, he's teaching the disciples. He's basically saying what these disciples would say. They want to send this woman away. 
They're seeing that only the Jews, Jesus is there to be a Jewish Messiah. He's there to overthrow Rome, and he's there to basically make Judea great again. That's why Jesus has come in their mind, in their understanding. And he's going to do something totally different. So I think this whole thing is an object lesson for these disciples to understand there's something good in these Gentiles too. I'm going to do something with them as well. But don't you love her answer? What a great answer. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs. We cook at our house, and you never know. you got four kids. You never know what they're going to be willing to eat that day. And some things disappear, and some things just sit there on the stove. And if anything's left over, what do we do? Well, we've got dogs, so we take it, and we throw what's left over to the dogs. That way we have to buy less dog food. I mean, anyway, that's how it all goes. So she answers rightly. She says, look, even, even the, we're nothing, Lord. You came for the Jews, you came for the people of Israel first. We're nothing, but don't you even have some crumbs for us? And I love Jesus' reply. He says, woman, you have great faith. You have great faith. You really believe, don't you? You really trust me, don't you? And he says, your request is granted, and instantaneously that demon is kicked out of her daughter. See, Jesus is Lord over everything. The evil spirits, anything, and that's real and that, that's a legitimate thing and that can come against us. But Jesus is God over that. And when he says it's done, it's done. Instantly the evil spirit leaves this daughter. This woman is a profile in tenacious faith. Worship team, you can go ahead and move into place. She is a profile in tenacious faith. She did not give up. Even when it looked like God in the flesh, she got to Jesus, but even when it looked like God in the flesh did not want to grant her her request, she did not give up. She kept coming back. She bowed down before him. She kept answering. She kept talking. She kept pleading. She kept having faith in the midst of everything. And church, that's what we have to do. When it seems like if we really believe we have a need, God promised he would meet our every need. He did not promise he would meet our every want. We're not going to get everything we want in this world. If that's, your, if that's your mindset, you need to go ahead and get past that. Did not promise us he would give us everything we want, but he did promise he would supply our every need. And if we believe something is an actual need, but it seems like God is not interested, it may be a sign that he's wanting to see our faith grow, and he's wanting to see our humility grow, and he's wanting to see if we'll keep coming to him, and if we'll keep being dependent on him because he's the only one who can meet all of our needs. I mean, for this woman, it would have been easier just to quit. She could have said, hey, I'm going back to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and I'm going to go to the temple of the pagan gods that other people are worshiping, and I'm going to talk to one of them, because it seems like this Jesus guy isn't going to get the job done. I'll just go back to what I've always known. It's kind of like us. We'll, we'll try things from the culture if we don't think God is working in our midst. It would have been way easier, but she would not give up. Why wouldn't she give up? Well, first of all, she had great faith. But second of all, she had a daughter that she loved who was dependent on her. And she knew Jesus. She believed Jesus was the only one that could meet her daughter's needs. Jesus was the only one that could take care of what needed to be taken care of. 
We don't know all the backstory. Maybe she'd been to some of the pagan priests. Maybe she had tried all the rituals. We don't know all the backstory. All we know is she had come to a place where she said, I have someone I love in my life that needs Jesus, and I'm not going to give up until Jesus and her meet each other and until her need is met. This morning, church, and we're going to kind of a different way than even this sermon went this morning, but this morning, I bet there are folks here listening to the sound of my voice who have loved ones who need Jesus. I was thinking next week we're going to have uh, my dad's family. There's going to be a family reunion that happens here every January, and so folks from my family, some of them may be worshiping with us next week and then we have a a lunch over in our senior life center and that's a yearly thing I always look forward to that look forward to being around family but I have a couple of cousins that I grew up with first cousins and um, grew up with me in this church and I love these guys they're my age or just a little bit younger and we grew up together in this church we went to youth together in this church we went to the altar together in this church even one of my cousins said at one point he failed to call into the ministry, but they're not living for the Lord right now. And, I, you know, as family, it's hard to have influence as family because they know all the dumb stuff you've ever done. They know every time you've messed up, and they say, well, how are you going to tell me about God when you did this and you did that? And, but, guys, I'm burdened for these guys. I love them. They're family members. I grew up with them. But they're not living for the Lord. And they don't have to come to this church to meet Jesus. I just want them to meet Jesus. And so it's very tempting to me to just say, you know what? They've made their choice. They're doing their thing. And I just got to let that go. And in a sense, I do. But I can't give up on them. I got to keep coming to Jesus on their behalf. I've got to keep pleading, Master, heal them. Master, touch them. Even Just some crumbs, God, so that they can come to know you. Maybe you're, you're in a situation like that today. Maybe it's a... A friend, a family member, a co-worker, a, a son or a daughter, a niece or a nephew. Maybe there's somebody in your life that needs Jesus. And who knows, it may be your prayers that are the only thing that's going to stand in the gap for their lost soul. And I don't believe the word returns void. And I don't believe our prayers are meaningless. I believe... My dad, I've told you this story before, my dad had a brother who was an alcoholic, prayed for him for 20 years to be set free from that. Didn't like big crowds, didn't like, didn't like church because he doesn't like to be around a lot of people, but one night he's out driving and he almost feels compelled to turn into this little revival that's going on at this little church. He goes in, he hears the preacher's message, he gives his life to Jesus Christ, and it's been about 20 years or probably more since he's touched a drop of alcohol, and now he's a deacon in his little Baptist church. My dad would never give up. It was his brother. He wanted him to know Jesus. He never gave up praying. Maybe you've got somebody like that. Today we're going to open up the front, and I want you to come down here, and I want you to pray and plead on their behalf. I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to pray for my family members that don't know Jesus. I mean, if we really believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, then we ought to be concerned, right? We ought to care about people. We ought to have a burden for people. We ought to be like this woman, like this Syrophoenician woman who said, I'm going to go to the master until he does what I'm calling him to do, what I'm asking him to do. And her faith moves the heart of Jesus 
and her daughter's life is forever changed. This morning as we sing this last song, I invite you. Come on up and pray for your loved ones that are lost. If you have another need, that's fine. But specifically this morning, if you have a loved one that's lost, come and seek Jesus' face and make a commitment that this won't be the last time you pray for them. You're going to pray for them until they know Jesus as Savior and until they have eternal life through him. Stand with me this morning. You're invited to come as we sing this last song. Okay. 
Father, we have here this morning children praying for parents, parents praying for children. The end of the Old Testament says that when Messiah comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so we have evidence of that here today. That's what Jesus is doing. God, we have family members praying for family members. We have friends praying for friends. God, we have those who are concerned about the eternity of others. It's not just about getting our ticket to heaven punched. It's about taking as many people as we can with us. And so, God, I just pray today that you would not let our prayers go unanswered. We trust your timing. We trust your wisdom. We know that you're good, and God, when we're tempted to doubt, we reject that. Instead, we, we have faith. And where our faith is weak, we pray you'd give us more faith. God, help us not to give up on people that we love because we know that you love them way more than we do. And we pray that through the prayers of this church, not just this service, but through daily prayers, consistent prayers, God, that walls would come down, that hearts would open to the gospel, that people would be saved, eternities would be changed, just as ours were. God, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would just convict them, speak to them, change their life as well. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, that it covers our sins, that it makes us whole, that it makes us clean. We thank you for his sacrifice. We're not here to honor any other name. We're here to honor the name of Jesus. 
When we leave this place, God, I pray that we would act in such a way, live in such a way that it reflects your glory. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for speaking to us. And thank you that you're working. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And Grutchwood said together, amen. I love you guys, and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday morning as we continue our Tenacious series. God bless you.